to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. About five centuries ago, Leonardo da Vinci surveyed the Arno River to divert the strategically important waterway from Pisa to Florence. The plan never went forward, but at some point in the process, da Vinci envisioned what the entire hydrological system would look like from above. He sketched the Arno's main stem, which split into upstream branches. Then those branches themselves branched, and so on, fanning out into small spidery veins that fed the entire network. To da Vinci, this patterning looked suspiciously alive. He wrote that river networks were a separate circulatory system, one that carried the blood of the earth. Now, scientists are taking a deeper dive into that blood of the earth. Today, some people are looking to branching river networks with hopes of catching a glimpse of some sort of mathematical code responsible for their patterns. It's no easy task. Geomorphologists have long measured statistical laws that river networks seem to obey. For example, the longest stream snaking through a basin seems to be proportional to the area of the basin, raised to the power of 0.6. But these generic laws haven't offered much insight into what actually shapes the networks. Another problem is the real world doesn't skimp on detail. The amount of rain, the nooks and crannies that the rain falls into, the exact sediments that start to erode, the trees that line channel banks, and the water table rising from below all vary across place and time. And they all might matter. But recently, one fundamental recipe for building river networks has begun to take shape. MIT geophysicist Daniel Rothman and his team have spent the past few years looking at it. They argue that a basic, near-ubiquitous growth pattern can explain the shapes of river networks carved into wet soils and maybe beyond. They've been associated with a certain kind of mysticism. It's because they're fractals. These are, in a sense, the largest fractals on the planet. Rothman and his team have taken their model past the chalkboard and into the Earth's river basins. Now they're looking even farther afield, to Mars and perhaps Saturn's moon, Titan. Each hosts its own mysterious branching channels. Their basic math doesn't work all the time, but it does work widely. And the team believes where it doesn't work, that breakdown provides its own hint to underlying environmental conditions. Christopher Paola is a geologist at the University of Minnesota who wasn't part of the research, but is familiar with it. The mathematics is beautiful. It's just gorgeous. If Rothman is right, his team's work would add at least some river networks to a class of eerily similar branching patterns found throughout nature. These systems all follow what mathematicians call Laplacian growth. Snowflakes analyzed up close seem to sprout their symmetric-looking crystalline structures through Laplacian growth. The process also predicts the branching pattern that an electric current takes when it leaps across a gap. It's also how bacterial colonies spread in petri dishes and how minerals grow into veiny patterns that look like fossils in rocks around the world. In each, patterns grow when a bump develops from an imperfection on an otherwise smooth boundary. Consider the surface of a newborn snowflake, 
a frozen edge creeping out into unfrozen ambient water. Invariably, what starts out as a smooth edge will have some little bump on it, even just a few out-of-place atoms. That bump will jut a little bit into the liquid. Out there, the bump loses heat to the surrounding water a little faster. It cools, and a bit more water freezes on top of it. In time, the bump grows, forming a bigger bump. The process continues, and soon enough, the atomic imperfection extends into a crystalline branch. The details vary in different Laplacian systems, but the rule is the same. Growth begets growth. Bumps make branches. Branches keep growing at their tips. Eventually, the branches may spawn their own bumps through the same process. That can make new branches that copy the same shapes as their parent branches, only at smaller scales. Certain river networks are the granddaddy of all obvious natural branching patterns. Daniel Rothman's team has long argued that they belong to this illustrious group. Rothman's group found their proof of concept near the town of Bristol in the Florida Panhandle. This is where a vast network of channels feeds water into the Apalachicola River. The network ends in dendritic channel tips. It's slowly extending away from the river. As the channel tips grow, they cut into two million-year-old sand. At each growing tip, groundwater burbles to the surface. Just like the cold water around a growing snowflake, it's the kind of environment that lends itself to Laplacian growth. The Rothman team built on the work of Thomas Dunn, a geomorphologist at the University of California, Santa Barbara. He studies groundwater-driven erosion. Rothman and his team set out to test whether simple math could describe the situation. They sloshed through the Florida streams, measuring the rate at which water flows through individual channels. They used ground-penetrating radar to check the height of the water table below. They then set out to compare the real scene to the detailed theoretical predictions they've sketched out over the past few years. So far, they've predicted and checked details, like the rounded shapes of valley heads, the directions they grow in, and the way branches scale with the size of the basin they're in. That last one was published in a paper last year, but perhaps their most far-reaching result addresses a simple question. At what angles do streams branch? The logic of Laplacian growth provides an answer. Imagine zooming in close to the tip of a single growing channel. Here, groundwater flows into the channel from multiple directions. As it does, Rothman says the water pulls sand grains along with it. Go there and watch it. One sand grain at a time is leaving the spring. Rothman says each grain pulled away extends the channel a little bit. The question is, which way is the stream going to grow? It's receiving water, and the water is taking sediment away. The hypothesis is that it finds a direction for which the water flow to it is symmetric. Basically, the stream grows in the direction from which it attracts the most groundwater flow. If more water gushes in from the right side of the channel head, the channel turns right. Soon, it points in the direction that makes the groundwater flowing to it symmetric, where it receives the same amount of water from either side. Now, imagine that one stream splits into two, with each new tip still finding the direction that draws the most groundwater flow. Competing effects determine the angle of the split. 
Hans-Jörg Zabel, who's now at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, Zurich, was one of the researchers who worked on the project. wide, each new tip would bend inward, back toward the direction that best helps groundwater flow into the parent stream. Instead, the two branches grow at a happy medium. The math of Lapazian growth predicts that the angle between the two should be 72 degrees. That's exactly one-fifth of the way around a circle. Then Rothman and his team found where streams in the intricate Florida network forked into two branches at scales from large to small. They measured the angle at each junction. Their analysis showed that over nearly 5,000 branches, the junction angle averaged 71.9 degrees. Zabold says that number was so close to the Lapazian growth of 72 degrees that it was hard to believe. So that might mean Florida could just be its own special case. Sure, Laplazian growth appears to explain the patterning of one stretch of river in the panhandle. But what about the world's other rivers? After Florida, the MIT group looked for their branching angle in a U.S. geological survey database of all decent-sized streams across the continental U.S. They found it again. Branching angles vary widely, but for about half the country, they cluster around 72 degrees. And last year, Zabold extended the analysis, showing that the angle shows up across the globe. He says it works just as well in locations like the Amazon rainforest as it does in Vermont. Rothman says he never imagined that the results they obtained would apparently apply to half the drainage networks on the planet. Well, you know, the wet half. The studies show the wetter the area, the more branching angles seem to approach 72 degrees. This could be because groundwater tables are highest in the most humid regions. And the same groundwater-powered mechanism found in the Florida panhandle might exert some control. Other geomorphologists need more convincing. They buy the case in Florida, where Rothman's team nailed down the area's idiosyncrasies, but they're more skeptical of the argument that branching angles are enough to show the same fundamental growth process is widespread. Alan Howard is a geomorphologist at the University of Virginia. My feeling is that the system they were looking at in Florida is a very special system. One of the few places where groundwater seepage plays an important role in determining the sort of geometry of the channel networks. In the 1980s, Howard studied and simulated groundwater seeping out of sandstone in the southwestern U.S., eroding the rocks along the way. The drainage patterns are very much like what they get in the sand, blue sand that you see in Florida. But both the sand and the sandstone networks have something rare in common. They occur in places where groundwater dominates. Outside of these water-soaked landscapes, geomorphologists traditionally argue that surface water from precipitation sculpts most river networks, not groundwater. In rare cases where groundwater dominates, Laplazian growth might work. But in other places, the mechanism doesn't quite make sense. 
The University of Minnesota's Christopher Paola says the common branching angle of 72 degrees isn't magical. He says little local details might also make it work. But to him... There's enough in the beautifully simple general theory that Dan's group has come up with to make it work in a surprisingly large number of cases. And there are exceptions. In arid places like New Mexico, networks branch narrowly at around 45 degrees. Researcher Hans-Jörg Zebold says that second angle to explain by theory. They still haven't solved the specific angle, but the team argues that in arid regions, occasional surface runoff carves steeper channels with narrower junctions. That then opened up a new possibility. If a wet climate might brand river networks with the 72-degree signature of Laplacian growth, could that signature's absence also reveal the existence of a different kind of climate? In the same June 2018 study that looked across Earth's river basins, Zabold's team also searched further afield. They looked at remote sensing data from Mars, hoping that branching angles would hint at the red planet's long, mysterious ancient climate. In the 1970s, Viking orbiters first found branching valley networks etched into Mars, Current cold temperatures and low pressures don't let surface water last very long on Mars. So geomorphologists have wondered whether the valleys could have been eroded by groundwater. The Martian valleys showed narrower angles, like those in arid places like the southwest U.S. The new work is consistent with other recent studies. It suggests that the ancient red planet was a relatively arid place, Maybe occasional downpours carved the Martian valleys and not groundwater. So while Laplacian growth might sculpt some, or maybe many, of the branching river patterns that have enticed scientists for centuries, for now, other networks are still holding on to their secrets. Michelle Yoon helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Joshua Sokol's full article, A Universal Law for the Blood of the Earth, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Why doesn't our universe make sense? That's one of the questions tackled in the Quanta book, Alice and Bob Meet the Wall of Fire by the MIT Press, available now wherever you buy books or to listen to on Audible. <laughs>